0: Hey guys, welcome back to the DTD podcast this week, John Hirth from the tier group. Now that's a professional tactical training and consulting company that also offers a small range of products. They provide specialized training and consultation services to a broad spectrum of audiences. We're going to get into it tonight, everything that they teach, but we're also going to talk about his military career. We're going to talk about tracking a human being and we'll get into a lot more. So John, welcome to the show.
1: Well, thanks, DJ, thanks.
0: Yeah, man. I'm so glad you're here. Uh, We have a lot to talk about tonight. So I want to talk, like I said, about your military career. I want to talk about Tier Group and I want to talk about the books that you've written and the publications that you've done. But let's start with your military career. Now, when we were talking earlier before the show, we figured out that we were at the same unit at the same time. We kind of crisscrossed each other and never saw each other, uh, which was pretty amazing to me. And it says kind of what a small world this really is. Uh, sure. We were both in the 25th at the same time, and uh, actually at the same 227, I think I was over in 25 as a forward observer um, as you were coming back with 227, and then right as you PCS'd out, I went over to 227. So uh, I loved being in the 25th. I think uh, it's one of my favorite units in the whole Army. I think it's probably the best unit in the whole Army, and everyone I talked to seems to love their time that they did. Feelings about it with you?
1: Uh, I got it. I have to say the same thing. I mean, you know, I came, um, I came there from the 82nd and, you know, it was kind of like you get there and you're kind of like, oh, you're in a leg unit and everything like that. But first time out, man, we were, we were road marching from the Kahuku's all the way back to Schofield (laughs) Barracks. So I mean, that was a, that was a quite a a way to break a a new guy in. And, uh, but I, I mean, I have nothing bad to ever say. I have nothing bad to say about any of my time over in Hawaii. I thought it was great. I thought the unit was awesome. It was NCO driven. Um, you know, the uh, officers stayed out of our, our way and freaking everything was decentralized. And, you know, it was great. I, I I had a great time there. Got to go to a lot of schools.
0: Yeah. You know, yeah that that was Yeah, that was great about Hawaii.
1: Um, and I'll, I'll tell you what, you know, even though they didn't have the money like uh, the 82nd had, It forced you to kind of like work outside of your comfort zone, you know, to do things a little bit differently uh, because of the terrain over there the you know, the weather conditions, um, you know, sometimes the the equipment wasn't the greatest. So you had to use a lot of field craft and uh, live off the ground, you know, live off the the land a little bit. I mean, you could do that. You could, you know, there's plenty of stuff out there in the jungle you could eat. So, yeah, I, I really I thought it was great. You know, and of course, uh, you know I went through, uh, uh, you know their their RIP program to go over to Ranger School, Mm -hmm. and I thought that was the best program that you know that the Army had to get guys prepared to go.
0: And I think at that time when you went over there, they were rated as the best RIP course in the whole Army uh, over at uh, East Range, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, I went to air assault school out there and, um, that just the whole environment, the training environment, I felt the, about the 25th that they really wanted to teach people everything that they possibly could. Like the, the, like you said, the, just the number of schools that were offered and, and how they got their people taken care of. That's what I really liked about it. Now, did they have the dog when you were at 227? Did the commander have the dog?
1: Uh, that was, well, 127
0: had the dog. They had the
1: dog, okay.
0: Yeah, they had the dog. Uh, yeah, I, um, I I saw the dog briefly, just like once or twice while I was over there. There, there wasn't very much. Now, I do remember that we did a, uh, you know, when we did those division runs for Aloha Friday. I don't know if yeah. you were there at the time. Do you remember the Golden Dragons that were, I think yeah. they were the next barracks over when someone yeah. painted the dragon pink? And uh it was a
1: what was that C-Quad, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. I think so, but the commander, you know, the division commander runs by, and there's a pink dragon that someone painted the night before the division run. He was not a not a happy man the next day <laughs> so being over there and talking about the field craft and stuff, did you? did you have that when you were at the 82nd before you were in the military, were you always someone that kind of liked to be out in the field, kind of figure out how to survive, live off the land, uh, and move around? Or was that something that kind of grew in you as you went through the military?
1: Uh, well, I'll be honest. I mean, from the time I, you know, from the time I was four years old, I just wanted that. I wanted to be a soldier. That's all I ever wanted to do. And so, um, you know, growing up, I, I like to mess around in the woods, you know, and then uh, when I was 17, I joined the military. Um, And uh, how I got into a lot of the, uh, well, I joined, you know, joined the army, went into the infantry. Uh, That's what I started out my career as. And uh, went over to Europe, I was stationed in mines with 8th ID over there. had some great NCOs, man. I mean, a lot of them, you know, Vietnam generation. So a lot of those guys had a lot of things that they could pass on, um, you know. And unfortunately, I think a lot of those skill sets kind of, you know, kind of left, left the military. I mean, I, you know, as, as a guy who was taught it, you know, you can only pass that knowledge on to so many people, you know, just your sphere of response, you know, sphere of, of control. Uh, but those guys were you know instrumental in, in mentoring me anyway you know and and, and I've applied most of everything they ever taught me so but yeah, I've always been into field craft I've always been you know kind of at home in the woods still am you know I still I still go out there and mess around so
0: well in, in talking about that because you and I spoke about the Vietnam era thing for a little while um, earlier. And do you think that we have, in a sense, because this will get to a question that I have for you later on, but do you think, in a sense, that we've kind of lost that basic function? We're we're so technology-driven. We're so um, into the future and in everything that you're out in the field. I mean, if you look, and it's been so long since I've been in, but singars and radios and how they changed and all that kind of stuff. Do you think we've lost kind of that basic... Uh, instinct out in the field, the the tracking abilities, because we, we talked in, you know, the last group was the Vietnam trackers. Yeah. Um, do you think we've lost that ability?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, on so many different levels, you know, I mean, I, I see it with, with just the soldiers that I teach, you know, and I, I've, I've gotten a chance to teach guys from all the different services. And so it's not something that's service specific. It's happening across the military, you know, overall. I mean, just basic things like camouflage and concealment, you know, uh, attention to detail to indicators out there in the woods. Um, It's just thing, you know, land navigation skills. I get E7s who come to my land nav class just so he can, so they can learn land nav because they don't do it. So, yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's, it's uh, all that stuff that, you know, uh when you were in the military they they had it back then too you know i mean i think that was when it kind of that was that was when things started to die out
0: i I think so i think that's the shifting point Uh, you know they had
1: a you know they had they had a certain type of training you know type of method of training uh back then that that's kind of just been you know pushed away and and yeah guys are you know you, you they're stuck on their their gadgets, they're stuck on their GPSs, they're stuck on all that equipment. You know, I mean, uh, guys going out in the woods without night vision, I mean, that's intimidating to some of those guys, you know? But in my classes, we don't use it. We don't use night vision. You know, we go out there and we do it old school. And you start to learn about the shadows, you look to, you know, you, you learn how to differentiate Uh, The different types of, you know, the different obstacles and the terrain and everything else based upon the shadows, you know, and the way the color is, you know, and and you negotiate it without, without nods. So, because I mean, if, if your stuff is, you know, you should never put your, your, your uh, life in the hands of something that's battery operated. True. You know, And, and so at least, you know, it's, it's something that you can utilize, you know, it's a force multiplier. But the thing is, is what if it goes down and what do you do then, you know? So that's kind of my philosophy anyway.
0: Do you think that there is a, a use for that? You kind of said that just now, but do you, do you think there's a place for that where we can kind of meld the two together? Uh, that old style, the new style. Oh, most
1: definitely. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, wh- the thing is, is technology is gonna be here. If it can enhance, you know, your operations and everything else, I mean, that's great, that's wonderful. The problem is, is that stuff breaks. And what do you do, you know, when that stuff breaks? You've gotta have something, you, you gotta have your pace plan, right? Your primary alternate contingency emergency plan. And so, if that stuff busts on you, you know, or, or, or doesn't work, or it gets spoofed, you know, that's the thing that, uh, that's, a, the funny thing that happens at the training centers, right? They'll spoof a training unit who's coming there to, you know, to play at, at JRTC or NTC, but they'll spoof those guys' GPSs and they'll never make it, they'll never make it to an objective. And that's real life, you know, for a near peer for a near peer threat.
0: So, for people that are listening that might not understand what you're talking about, talk to them about spoofing and what they're doing to their actual technology systems.
1: Yeah, they'll just. Basically, they're hacking in. To, they're hacking their their GPSs so that way it, it basically puts them in another area than the area they actually want to go to. And if you don't, you know, if, if you're not used to well, just utilizing a compass and map and compass, you know, and protractor, and using that as your main method of, of traversing the the terrain, and you're just using GPS all the time. Well, you're gonna you're not going to be at the right place where you're supposed to be. So you know i i'm kind of one of those guys where uh, i love gps's and but i always use a map and compass and if i haven't you know want to confirm try to confirm where i'm at then i'll use the uh i'll use the gps but other than that i go off i'm old school i just go off of a map and compass that's it you know follow along the way you know set in you know different you know different intermediate objectives along the way so you meet those intermediate objectives and you know exactly where you're at at all times you know having having a handrail off to the left and right keeping you in a corridor so
0: so and let's talk about your career a little bit because it's a pretty interesting career um, about where you've been and kind of what you've done, you haven't really taken a conventional route. You have done a couple of conventional things. Like you said, you were a leg over in Hawaii. You were with the 82nd. So you've you've done your time in Big Army, but you were also part of First Special Forces. But the interesting part of that to me was, when we talk about it, you did a lot of different things in Special Forces. You were a Weapons Sergeant, Assistant Operations and Intelligence Sergeant, Operations Sergeant. So you went a whole bunch of different routes, and then you you took those skills and put them into other things that you did, whether that be, and we'll talk about this a little later, uh, being a contractor or working at JRTC or working at Wechuca, um, in doing those uh, mission plans and, and kind of setting up these scenarios for people. So if you can, I want to talk about first your steps from going from big army into special forces, kind of the transition that it happened what pushed you in that direction, and then how was that transition for you? Was it a very easy one? Was it uh, did it make a lot more sense than Big Army? Because a lot of people say that Big Army is kind of a confusing the way it does things. Uh, was it a lot more streamlined for you? But let's start in just what made you decide I'm leaving this and I'm going to start moving up through into special operations.
1: Well, I mean, that that was one of my goals you know, from even when I was a private that I was eventually going to go down that road. Uh, I think the real I think the big thing for me was uh, the army started changing, you know, during the Clinton administration. And then, you know, I was uh, already a senior guy uh, in the 82nd, you know, my second tour when I came back from Hawaii and I told myself I was going to give that one place. I'm going to give the 82nd one year and I did that one year from the day and then I went you know I went SF so but I mean it's just you know the army's army was changing and and here's the other thing too I I knew this I knew uh when I made E7 you know I was going to be put in more of an administrative role you know E7 E8 you know E9 in SF you can you can be still on the ground for a lot longer so you know it was like a no brainer. And and besides, I like deploying. I like different cultures, different people. You know, I love uh, teaching people things. And uh, that was, you know, and, and the big thing is just going over there and working with other cultures, other people, you know, and trying to help them out. So that was uh, a, to me, that was a no brainer. And it was like, like I said, it was like, that was something I always wanted to do. And uh, I wouldn't say it was a uh, there isn't, it wasn't a big change. Uh, it just mean, it for me, compared to the regular army, uh, the gloves were, you know, the, the handcuffs were off me. So I right. had a lot more leeway into, you know, and a lot more responsibility as an SF guy than in the conventional army, way more, because you're working at a strategic level. Every time you go somewhere, you're, you're, you know, you might be the only US representation in a country, you know, and so... Or you're working with the consulate, you're working with ambassadors, you know, high, you know, four star generals, the whole nine yards. And of course, you're working with some, some guy, you know, in, in his country. And he may even, he may not even have a, you know, a grade school education. And so, you know, understanding the culture, understanding the people uh, and working in those different, different levels is, uh, is challenging sometimes, but I loved it. I thought it was great. You
0: know, when you say that you were a senior guy already, I, I, I want to bring up a point and we've kind of talked how the army has changed, but here, here's another way in that it's changed before when you were in, um, in order to go to special forces, to go to Delta, to go to these specialized units, um, they wanted more senior people, people that that yep. had their, their feet underneath them. They knew what they were doing. Um, and now that there's a lot of programs, because we've been at war for 20 plus years, right. there's all these programs where you can go 18 X-ray, uh, go yep. right into the pipeline. It just takes a little longer as you go through the pipeline, but you're, you've got yeah, younger a, soldiers. <laughs> okay. I'm not a fan of it. Okay. No, so, yeah. so let's talk about it. Cause it seems like that's a hot button. Cause I didn't even get through really the question, but I think you knew where I was headed with it was.
1: Yeah. I, I, I know where you're going. I, you know, to me, look here, here's the thing I, I get, you know, I get it. Uh, every branch, you know, every component has a man, you know, they have to man man slots. Okay. And SF was uh, put under a lot of demand under OEF, you know, and OIF. But the thing is, is, is you cannot take a guy off the street through the 18 x-ray program and develop a leader. You can't do that. You know, that he doesn't have any experience and he has no way of of really uh, understanding what the conventional army does. And so when you have to work with a conventional army, you know, you don't understand from their point of view because you never came from there. So it, it, it's a different culture in and of itself. Right. OK. So to me, you know, the best thing is to do is, is to basically recruit, you know, Senior, you know, NCOs that are, you know, maybe looking at pinning on E6 or, you know, E6, you know, looking at E7. Um, but guys who've been around the block a little bit, you know, even some of the E4s, you know, you get them into SF and it's like, you're setting them up kind of for, for failure in the sense that you're supposed to be working at at like a battalion level. You know, when, when you're advising your counterpart, you're you're at a battalion level. Not you're not a squad leader. You know, you're not a team leader. You know, you're 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 interacting with, you know, captains and majors and colonels and things of that nature. You know? Yeah, you're training the little nugs on the ground, but you're also dealing with the officer their officers, and some of them have even gone to the United States and work, you know, and gone through schooling here in the United States. So if you don't talk their talk you're not going to have any rapport with those people.
0: Okay. So let me pose this question to you then, because it's an interesting take on that because I've talked to a lot of different people. A lot of different people have different opinions on this. Let me pose this question to you. A lot of people would say, you know, when you go to basic training and you get these guys that have never shot a rifle before and they say, well, we can teach them because they have no bad habits yet. Right. I think people would argue that point that if we start this pipeline at the beginning, We have no bad habits. We haven't developed any big Army habits. um, And that might help streamline that into knowing exactly what they're doing. I would like your answer back to that of what you think of something like that.
1: Yeah, I don't agree with it. Look, it's not the first time the U.S. Army had the X-ray program. They had it even when I came in, right, in the 80s. They had it then. Um, And it just, you know... Look, one of my old team sergeants was an 18X Ray that grew up through SF. And he always he always told me he said, you know, he had wished he'd gone in the regular army because there was a lot of things he didn't get, you know? I mean, look, man, as as an east, you know, as an E5, I was doing NCOERs for my team leaders. You know what I'm saying? Well, in SF, the some sometimes those guys don't do an NCOER until they're an E8. You know, whereas if you're a platoon sergeant, you're doing it for all your squad leaders. You're making right. sure your squad leaders are doing it for your team leaders, you know. So, I mean, it, it's a, you know, in that in that respect, by the time you go to SF, as a, you know, as a guy who's been an NCO for a while, uh, you understand leadership. You understand culture. You understand, you know, how soldiers react to things. And, and you know, sometimes you have to motivate, motivate them in different ways based upon just, you know, what you're, what you're perceiving from them, you know, and, uh, and it's no different when you go overseas. It's the same thing. You have cultural barriers, but I'm there, those people are still human beings and you're, you know, in a leadership position. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's no different, but it, I've seen guys that were x-rays and then, you know, we deploy in, in a fucking combat theater, you know, And then what happens is these guys are putting with an indigenous company and they don't know how to handle them. They don't have the skills. You know?
0: Well, let's talk about that for a minute because I I think that's pretty interesting because you and I talked about um, some of the other stuff that you did. And we talked about you being part of ASOs. Now, um let's talk about that because you in that you did a lot of intelligence gathering living within those cultures and stuff so talk about as much as you possibly can about what that means when you bring in that 18 x-ray compared to someone that's been before because i'm sure you've seen it in both directions by Mm -hmm. being a senior guy but also seeing that so it kind of explained the difference of what they're seeing through their eyes and what the difference is.
1: Okay. So what are you talking about? You talk about the 18 x-rays and how they are.
0: Right. So, so when you get there, like you were talking about the 18 x-rays, so you get over there, you're indigenous. They're, they're, they're with people that, that they've never worked with before. They're not quite sure how to work compared to a senior guy. Okay. So,
1: yeah. So let, let me, let me just kind of throw this out there. Okay. So what happens with the younger guys that aren't, you know, that haven't gone through haven't haven't been in the military for a long time right is that they develop a lot of bad habits because they want to be cool guys you know what i'm saying and so they start doing things that uh they learn bad habits early off because in sf we're not held to the same standards as as like the rest of the army i mean you know we're a little bit more relaxed you know we call each other by our first name and you know hands in the pockets and sometimes we're out of uniform and all that other stuff the problem is is that the old well the thing is is the older guys typically understand their operational environment <laughs> so if if you you're you know around senior officers conventional guys or you know your counterparts you're gonna you're gonna do things differently you know whereas like the x-ray guys you know they they tend to you know, try to be the cool guy on the block, you know, and because it's the, it's the image, right? Right. And, and unfortunately, if you don't have some real strong senior guys to really, you know, mentor those guys early on, then a lot of times those guys go sideways. You know, I, I can, from my personal experience, the guys that got, you know, they got whacked over in Afghanistan were the X-rays. And they just lacked experience, you know. So, and it's, it's a sad thing, you know, because there are are Americans out there to do some, you know, do our bidding, you know what I'm saying? And, and, uh, but they just lack experience.
0: In, in saying that it, with you talking about being over there with you seeing the people that went down, is there a way that the military can continue a program like this? But expand on it in ways that you might not see those things. Is there a way to lengthen it out, to send them to other maybe schools that uh, would teach them kind of decorum and, and things like that, that they might not be picking up if they never worked conventionally? Not really.
1: Not not really, because, I mean, really, it just it's just, you know, it's peer pressure on the team. Mm-hmm.
0: You
1: know, the, the seniors on the team, the team sergeant. You know, keeping those guys in line, making sure, you know, uh, making sure that, you know, they're doing the right thing. You know, a lot of a lot of guys, man, they'll you know they go a little bit crazy when they first get there because they're not used to, you know, having that much independence, and uh, and you got to have people who can think independently and kind of see the situation and and you know take initiative. And if you guys if you don't have guys like that are doing that are like that, uh they're gonna go they're gonna get in trouble. You know. Switching. Especially gear. When, when it comes to their off time and drinking.
0: <laughs> absolutely absolutely. But you you know, and, and and I've heard people say that. I think that's that might be a problem all around. Um yeah. I, I I think you see it um in, in every kind of job where um, there's that hero or kind of uh, cool guy status, like you said, yeah. whether that be first responders, law enforcement, military, um, you, you get these guys that, that, you know, they experience this for the first time. I know that, that when I was in the military and stuff and, and you're in the barracks and, and, <laughs> and there's drinking going on and all that yeah. kind of stuff. And you've never been around it. Your eyes are kind of opened up to the world. I think that that is a problem all around, but switching gears and talking about uh, this ASO and things that you were doing with uh, OEF and OIF. Can we talk a little bit about that? Because I hadn't really ever heard about that stuff until you started talking to me about it. I had, I had heard, you know, ideas of it, but when you explained it, it was something completely different to me.
1: Well, I mean, you know, it, you do do some of the same things like we were talking about, you know, handling, handling guys, you know, their assets and things like that, you know, but I mean, you gotta, you don't have a lot of times, you know, you have Americans who are not fitting into that country and how are they supposed to get information? How are they supposed to operate in denied area? You know? And so you got to have guys who are willing to work with you and to go out there and do it because they have, they have access and placement, you know, you can't go there. They can, though, you know, and they can be your eyes and ears. So it's no different than, you know, anybody that has some sort of, you know, source that's providing them information or, or things like that. But, I mean, there's other things those things guy, those guys do, too. It's just, uh, you know, I don't want to talk about it <laughs> obviously, on here. but um,
0: Right, and I don't want to get but, missions. But I, I, I guess not mission or
1: for unconventional warfare where you're sitting there and, and – You are in denied area. You're working with a resistance element. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so everything is clandestine or covert, right? And so you've got to have a, you've got to have a network of people who can, you know, do those, do those tasks, even sabotage, subversion, things like that. So yeah, it's a, it's a pretty important skill. It's not, it's not the cool commando stuff that everybody thinks, you know what I'm saying? Where you're, You know you got ski masks on and stuff like that breaking down and kicking in doors uh it's a different type of you know it's a different type of cool thing you know i always sit you know guys would sit there and say well um you know sf didn't do you know didn't go get bin laden i was like yeah but that wasn't our job you know that wasn't our job you know seal team six and and the the things that they do right are completely different from what we do you know uh, we would have probably done it a lot, a lot differently, you know, because we'd have sources on the ground. We'd work those sources. We would get somebody that may, you know, clandestinely move us into that area. You know, um, maybe we wouldn't have flown in on helicopters. Maybe we would have taken them out some other way, you know, maybe there would be, you know, uh, deniability in, in there or whatever it could, you know, there we could have done it several different ways. But it wasn't our you know that's not our job you know the seals were the were the were the element that did that and you know they did it the way that they are taught to do things you know every service is different everybody has their own capabilities they all have different things to bring to the table it's not like one's better than the other it's just like what do you what is the effect you want you know and and that's what you look for
0: i've talked to a lot of guys about being in afghanistan of course you were over there for a while Uh, And with all of everything that's going on with Afghanistan, with uh, President Biden saying that we're going to pull out and essentially create a vacuum, I've asked a lot of people that have come on the show, what are your thoughts on that? Because the way I feel about it, and I've said it a couple times on the show, is when you create that vacuum that we've we've built this country up and we have all these teammates and we've tried to do, I I would think you would agree, nation building over there, and then you pull out all of a sudden – Mm-hmm. do you see a collapse what what do you see happening
1: what do i see what i see happening there yeah yes it's gonna collapse it, yeah it's it's gonna collapse no matter what i mean we were we were hamsters you know spinning our wheels over there i mean it, it was you know you can't fix a problem in afghanistan until you fix the problem in pakistan you know there's a lot of things going on in that country and you know Pakistan had, had their fingers in a lot of stuff and, and we were, we were in there messing things up for them, you know, and everybody knows it, you know, those guys were not our friends, they were not our allies, you know, they were, they were part of the enemy. So, you know, you can't, it's just like Vietnam, right? You can't have a safe haven across uh, a border, right? Like, you know, the NVA going over into Laos and Cambodia, right? And then, you know, we just stop at that border. Well, that's what you had the same thing going on over in Pakistan, you know, and then they had an exclusion zone that, so you couldn't get too close to the doggone border. You know, I mean, I was over there in 2004 and 2005 and I even saw within a couple of months, I was like, the way things are going, nothing was going to, nothing was going to get fixed over there. Nothing was going to get fixed. You know, it's, and it's not because of the people on the ground, the guys on the ground who are making things happen, you know, at the tactical level, they're doing, they're, they're taking the fight to the enemy. But, you know, those guys up above who are making all the decisions, they're the ones who are screwing things up, you know, whether it be State Department or or the generals up above, you know, they don't have any, they, they don't have any situational awareness on the ground. And to fight any kind of insurgency, it has to be decentralized. And, and they didn't want you know, decentralization. I mean, for the SF guys, we had it, we had it decentralized, you know, but the conventional army didn't have that, you know, they, and then later on the SF guys didn't either. As soon as NATO came in there, you know, it kind of changed everything up. So, but I mean, you can't, if you don't understand an insurgency, how are you going to fight it? If you don't understand their mechanisms, you know, what is, you know, what is their underground look like? What is their, auxiliary look like, you know, their guerrilla force, are they, you know, are they in, in a mature state or are they in an immature state? You know, where, you know, the, uh, the guerrilla, the auxiliary and the underground are all doing the same thing because they, they don't have anybody, you know? I mean, even when I got up there, the group that was, that was handling the area that, that we were working in, even though they're SF guys, man, they have no, they had no clue how that insurgency was in our area. You know, in our, in our area, they we had three different groups working in that area. But if you talk to the ODA that was there before us, it was just bad guys. Bad guys here, bad guys there, bad guys there. Yeah, it would, there were names associated with them, but you didn't really know what were their boundaries, you know, who was in charge of what, did they ever work with each other. If they didn't work with each other, was there animosity between, you know, some of those groups? And could you use that animosity to your own benefit? You know what I'm saying? They didn't quite understand that. And I don't know what happened after I left because, you know, I know when we were there, we exploited quite a bit.
0: (laughs) And speaking from an intelligence standpoint, like you were just talking about, knowing the ground, is there really ever a way because... I don't know that there is when, when you have so many splinter groups, fractions, uh, fractures in it. Is there any real way to have true intelligence on the ground? Because everybody doesn't like everybody. And is there ever a way to build a, a a true intelligence database?
1: You know what? You're, You're, you're constantly testing. You're testing everything. You know, the people that are coming in, You're bouncing stuff off, trying to get, you know, information that, that will corroborate one another. But over there, you know, there's so much problems because these guys, they're all stabbing each other in the back. They're all in survival mode, you know, whether it be, you know, uh, power for families or, or tribal problems or whatever. I mean, there's always going to be that. And so, you know, you have to kind of figure out, okay, well, what's this guy's ankle? If a guy's coming, you know, it's it's like, I I know, you you know, you said you worked, uh, you know, some undercover stuff, working with guys and stuff like that. Why is he coming to you and telling you what he's telling you? You know what I'm saying? What is he going to get out of this?
0: There's definitely motive behind it.
1: Yeah, there's a motive, right? And so you're constantly asking yourself, okay, what does this guy want? He wants something. You know, I've only met one guy that I worked with. Who legitimately cared about his country. Because he saw Afghanistan was going to be in perpetual civil war forever with the with the way the tribal system was. But he was one guy. One guy that, you know, that he was the golden nugget that brought a lot of good stuff to us. But when it he took almost it took it took almost a whole rotation before I found that guy. But you're always hunting.
0: When you talk about that, though, when you say that, that, that there was one guy that, that had true intentions, yeah. it, it's hard for me to believe that even he had true intentions. Does that make well, any sense?
1: Yeah, well, no. Look, he wanted safety and security because he was already at target. He was already at target by the insurgents. He couldn't go home. So if he could clean up that area, right, right, to where it was safe for him to go home and see his family and be with his family and not have people trying to kill him. That was good for him. I
0: I, now, I yeah, I can I can see that from from that point of view. But you you always have to, I think, and and, and you're aware of this, you always kinda have to temper that because there's always sure. that 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 real under the surface right there motive yeah. where they say I'm all for this and I'm all for that. Well, why are you all for this and why are you all for that?
1: Yeah, you know what though, this guy didn't really. That was my assessment. Mm-hmm. That's not what he told me. Okay, <laughs> you see what I'm saying? <laughs> that was my assessment, not not what he you know basically told me. Right. You know, he was he was kind of like, you know, he wanted he wanted to get the look, they all know who the bad guys are. It's no different than a neighborhood, right? You got the troublemakers in the neighborhood, right? You know, you telling me that these guys that, that, you know, feel like they're being intimidated by, by the gang leaders and everything else. Right. They know who those guys are. They know what they're doing. You know, it's the same thing over with insurgents. I mean, you're just dealing with different criminals, you know,
0: Let's talk about when uh, when you're over at Huachuca and you're doing um, the combat tracker course. I want, First, I want to talk about the combat tracker course, and then I want to talk about something that you brought up to me about the IED um, kind of operations and the intelligence they built around that. But first, let's talk about going to the combat tracker course, what it is, how it works, and... How maybe it doesn't work now because of things that have happened
1: uh well it was you know basically it was uh it was a it was a contract uh it was run by uh well it was paid for by the joint ied defeat organization and so they had they had a certain time frame i don't know if it was three to five years or something that they were going to pay for this thing It was basically a proof of concept you know to basically use this type of skill set overseas to base you know to basically uh track individuals by the signs that they left on the ground okay so it's kind of like forensics the way i look i I talk about it it's like combat forensics right so if you're looking down at the ground and you're seeing boot prints you know you're basically like okay well you know we have so many so many enemy Uh, Or maybe, you know, it was a friendly patrol that came through that area. I mean, depending on the type of footwear, you know, are they moving at a high rate of speed? Are they walking? You know, is somebody limping? Is there blood sign? You know, because somebody was shot. uh, You know, you're basically doing this, you know, trying to figure out what the enemy is doing, where they're going and what potentially they're going to be doing or where they're going and what potentially they can do to you also, right? And so it's, it's dangerous um, because you're just not following footprints or a sign you're following people, people who can, ba- you know, basically button hook around and, 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 ambush you, you know? So, I mean, you have to be aware you know, of everything going on around you because you're, you're not choosing the route you're taking. Somebody else is choosing that route for you. Um, but the class, the course was two weeks long. Um, you know, it basically gave him basic uh, a basic tracking piece in the, in the beginning and gave him a little bit more of an advanced skill in the second week. Um, and it was really meant for uh, like infantry folks, maybe Cav Scouts, things of that nature, guys who are going to be on the ground who are who maybe, uh, you know, get IED or ambushed by the enemy and then basically turn it into a movement to contact to basically, you know, uh, pursue them in order to re, you know, uh, make contact with them, you know, and either kill them, capture them or whatever. But basically, you know, relentless pursuit was, was pretty much the idea. Okay. Um, did it work out that way? No, it didn't, you know, but I mean, uh, there was another program, the WIT program, which was a weapons intelligence, uh, team program. And that was more of a forensics thing. Where uh, they would process an IED site, gather uh, forensic data, whether it be from the footprints of the, that what was left on the ground, blood evidence, it could be uh, pieces of uh, the bomb itself, the IED itself. They had a wide range of guys that were in those teams, you know, from EOD technicians to, you know, photographers and whatever. They even had their own medics and stuff like that. Um, But the one thing that we were trying to do was to basically have the combat tracking team and the WIT teams working together, right? So as one, as the WIT team basically processes a site, right, they could do around, uh, basically do a 360 search around the outside of it, figure out the entry points and exit points into that, into that area that they're, they're processing, and then the combat, tracking team could get on the track line and then basically run the enemy down before they got too far ahead that was the whole idea it didn't work out that way though you know i mean uh, nobody wanted to pay for the program even though the program was a great program by you know everybody's everybody admitted it was a great program but you know with the uh with iraq kind of slowing down the money I think everybody was just kind of like guarding their money and they didn't want to put it into the program. So,
0: Which is kind of in contrast because when we talk about the war in Afghanistan and the war in Iraq, there was a lot of money thrown around, let's say, when it just first began. I mean, the coffers were open and money was just spewing out. Yep. Um,
1: But they bought a lot of gadgets.
0: Absolutely. They bought a lot of gadgets. But here we go back to that question that I asked you about in the beginning where you see that we don't have those tracking teams that we had in Vietnam, those guys on the ground. Right. And it almost seems like when when it comes to, once again, getting new technology or developing a human that can do something exponentially better at a certain right. point, we go away from it again. Now, there was some kind of number, like uh, I wrote it down in here. I got to find it. That IEDs were like 50%. It says um, IEDs were responsible for almost 50% of the casualties, both mortal and injured in Iraq, and 30% in Afghanistan. Now, that's a yeah. big thing. An interesting mm-hmm. point that you brought up to me, though, about the IED was that it's just a booby trap. That's all it it's is. It's just a booby trap. And we've had booby traps since World War One. Yeah. I mean, and you could probably go back even further you than go that. go
1: back further than that, man. But, you know, I mean, it it, it, look, here's the thing. This is what I noticed. So during when I was when I was in the service, right, when I was a young private, we had what was the SQT skill qualification test. Right. I don't know if you had that when, you know, I think your time um, was was Hawaii your first duty station. Yeah. Okay, it, it either may have it might've been on its way out because it was, it was around that time that they got rid of it. But I mean, it was just, you know, they skill level one tasks for you. It was like a ahead. 12
0: station course, right?
1: Well, it wasn't like CTT training. It was a written exam.
0: Oh, okay. No, no, no. I never did that then. No.
1: Okay. So, uh, yeah, they, and like one of the, one of the skills, like all when I was a private all the way up until I was an NCO was, uh, locate minds and booby traps by visual means. Okay. Now, how did we go from that to not being able to do it in wartime? Right. And, and maybe that's because we got rid of the SQT. No one would, would read the you know, their SQT manual, you know, because they, they weren't being tested on it no more. So maybe they got it in, you know, basic training or whatever. And, and then, you know, that was the end of it, you know? Um, but I, you know, you, all the things that we would look for for IEDs was the same stuff we would look for, you know, in this SQT as far as uh, indicators of a booby trap, well, wires. I, I guess know?
0: I guess the question that I have for you then, when we talk about that, when you say IED is just a booby trap, we, we yeah. go back to the where we're going to fund people that can do this. Don't you think the whole point of that course and to train these people was – IDs, of course, were very bad. They were they were decimating people yeah. out there. If we can treat or teach a group of people to hunt these bomb makers down faster or where yeah. they're going to, won't that uh force multiply us like exponentially?
1: Yeah, yeah you would think, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> or even if you hit an objective and you had squirters out of, the vi- out of the village, right? You could just have guys, you know, pursue those squirters. I mean, there's so many applications for this. But here's the thing, right? They started using canines. So they thought canines were going to be- basically do all these things that a human, you know, a human could do, right? Well, here's the thing. A dog has a great sense of smell. There's no doubt they got a better sense of smell than, than, than we do, right? Okay. But here's the thing, a dog can't look at the ground and tell you what the marks on the ground mean, right? They can't interpret those marks. Okay. They can't tell you how many people you're following, okay? In some cases, the dog is just like a human being. They get tired, they get hungry, they get thirsty. They don't wanna do what you ask them to do. You know what I'm saying? So at least the handler should be a tracker You know, tracker qualified to where he can see and validate whether his dog is on the scent or not. Just by the marks on the ground.
0: I guess. Right. So I guess the big question would be, why is this not important?
1: I guess it's not sexy enough. I don't know. You know, I mean.
0: I mean that's like it, pretty sexy though tracking down people that are making bombs quickly and being able know, to hunt a person is
1: that's pretty sexy. Yeah, but think about it like this. A commander okay. doesn't commanders commanders, right, who are the decision makers on spending the money, right? They're looking at all the things that they have that that need, you know, need to be get done during that year as far as training, right? And then you know, they look at all the other things that they want to do with that money. You know what I'm saying? And and uh, a lot of times the, the soldiers lose out, man. You know, they lose out. I mean, it's just, look, it's it, it happens with law enforcement, too. I get law enforcement guys that come to my class and they, they complain because they're like, hey, this is a really good skill, even for forensics, you know, even right. just to use this, you know, as, as a way of... Uh, you know, processing forensics, you know, and then getting an idea where the, you know, where the criminal left off to or, you know, whatever. But, you know, guys, I don't know if they, I don't know if there was, some, you know, at some point, you know, guys kind of looked at that tracking skill kind of like hooey, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, like the Indian who said, you know, uh, hey, Kimosabi you know, one guy, one blind man came through here with a, a, you know, with a crutch or whatever, you know, and that's not how it works. It doesn't work that way. You know, it's physical, it's physical things that you can see, physical marks that you can see. And so it's kind of like reading a book, right? So you start at the beginning of the book, which is where you first initially start processing the site. And then as you continue Tracking that person you're seeing little bits of more information that you're all putting together So now, you know, it's like you have, you know, you have a couple of sentences Then you have a paragraph and it, and that paragraph is telling you something, you know And if you're paying attention and you're looking at your map and you're trying to figure out, okay Well, where's potentially this guy going to because humans are freaking lazy They're lazy and they're going to take the path the least resistance to go anywhere so you can pretty much figure out where this guy is going potentially and you can even jump a team further up to cut cut for sign so that you can break that time distance gap between your, you and your subject so you can actually get make it quicker you know and pursue them quicker
0: well this kind of leads right into our second topic I want to talk about your combat tracking guide the book that you wrote and I want to go over first off the seven basic tracking principles positive idea of tracks that you're going to follow so let's, let's yeah. break these down by pieces. So positive idea tracks that you're going to follow. I right. want to bring this up because the this is what you talked about. A dog versus a human dogs are very good at tracking, but yep. the human can differentiate. Okay. This is definitely what I want to go after. Not just right. a scent or not just whatever it is that they're going to, they're, they're going to follow on. So let's talk about the positive idea of tracks.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, look, so what, what brought you to that place in the first place? What brought you to that incident site, right? Was there a firefight? Were you in an ambush? Was somebody else in an ambush? Uh, was, did somebody spot somebody, you know, who was armed or something like that and report it? And now you're going out there to investigate it? So, I mean, those are the things that we're all kind of putting together. We also need to know, hey, what's the footwear that we're wearing? You know because you don't want to go in there and contaminate everything and you don't want everybody muddling around or is it another you know a unit that's there who have muddled around i've gone to plenty of places where uh i've worked with police where a guy goes missing you know he abandons the vehicle and the first guys there start just mucking around the whole area now you can't you know they've contaminated everything and, and now i get there and i'm looking at the at the Prince and I'm sitting there going, Okay, well now I gotta figure out, you know, who who was here, what kind of footwear that they had, and then who's the subject. And so I gotta differentiate all those guys, you know, based upon, you know, those guys muddling around, you know, where the guy left the car. <laughs> so I can figure out where he went, you know.
0: So um, is there a way to defeat that then? Uh, I, of course, education and things like that. But when you get there uh, and, and you Sometimes
1: see. You sift through all that contamination.
0: You and, know, it, but once again, that slows down the reaction time.
1: Down. Yeah. But I mean, if, if you got guys who are on it and they, you know, they train with, uh, you know, whoever's out there, whether it be law enforcement or military, and they know that, hey, we have this capability. And so if something happens, we're going to hold tight. We're gonna, you know, basically isolate this area and not go into it. And we'll wait for whoever's gonna come out there. Same thing goes with a dog, right? A dog, if, if you take a dog into a contaminated area, right? That dog is not gonna, it's gonna take a while for it to get on the scent Absolutely.
0: line. Absolutely.
1: You know, so it, it's, it's really no different for a human being. The only thing is that the human being can basically try to look at, you know, what's on the ground and even going, you know, doing concentric 360s out from that point Uh, you know, out from that contamination, hopefully they can pick something up, you know? And I, I typically do. I mean, it's, you know, if I can do it, I think anybody can do it.
0: (laughs) So number two, track line between you and your light source.
1: Yeah. So that way the the shadow, right? The light in your, you're basically utilizing the light and the shadow so that you can actually see the tracks that you're following. Same thing goes with, uh, you know, even bent down grass and things of that nature, uh, you know, sun will reflect off that, gra- off that grass, um, you know, so you, you want to get, you want to kind of position yourself somewhere where you can actually see that. Now, here's the thing, that that's a rule of thumb, but that doesn't always happen, especially if you're underneath canopy, because okay. you don't have it, you know what I'm saying? So you just got to maneuver around the track line to figure out what the best vantage point is so that you can go on it. But so I mean, say
0: with uh, law enforcement, a lot of times they're working at night when people bail on them. So yeah. there's not going to be really a light source, especially if they're dumping off into a wooded area. So how do we defeat that? Flashlight.
1: Okay. You can use a flashlight, but here it depends, you know, it depends on the threat, doesn't it? Because obviously if there's Absolutely. somebody armed and dangerous, do you really want to give away your position with a flashlight? Right. You know what I'm saying? Um, but you, know, you also don't th- want to
0: fumble around in the dark either because that's right. just it's as that- dangerous.
1: Exactly. Exactly. But what I'm saying is, is that maybe you're not going to be tracking that guy, you know, and especially if you think that they're close by and they haven't gone very far. You know, if that guy isn't familiar with areas, let's just say, you know, typical typical thing I'm always, I'm, I, I talk to cops with all the time. They pull a guy over and then he ditches the car, runs into the freaking woodline. But he's not from there, right? So typically they sit in there for a little bit, wait for the cops to leave, and then they'll come walking out, and then they'll, you know, basically walk the road, maybe hitch a ride or something like that. But a lot of times, if you just push through there a little bit, you'll find them, that because they don't, they're not at home out there. Right. Most of, you know.
0: Number three: observe and track as far as sign can be uh, recognized. So I think this is kind of going to tie into that second one that we just talked about. So
1: Yeah. So, you know, as you're, as you're sitting there on the track line, one thing you're, you're, you're constantly scanning around your area, making sure that the track line doesn't basically, you know, veer off to the left or veer off to the right, you're looking to make sure there's no deception around you. Okay. Uh, and as you're, you're standing at the last known where there's sign right there by your feet. And so you're tying in all the other pieces of sign out there to the furthest sign that you can see with that's five feet. If it's two feet, if it's 20 feet, it doesn't matter if you can tie it all in right from the furthest sign all the way to you, then you move on it. Does that make sense?
0: Well, let me ask you a question. Say you can tie it out to that 20 feet or whatever. Yeah. But at 12 feet, you get a break. Is there?
1: Okay, but see, sometimes, sometimes you won't see until you you start walking it, and then you're confirming it. Okay. So you know it's it's kind of like what I tell people is like you're kind of you're kind of scanning like this in a side by side method, going out and then coming back in. Okay. So getting everything out there, and then you're still confirming the the track line as you're moving on it. Okay. You're just not you're you're just not moving from you know the last known all the way to the furthest, right? That doesn't make any sense because they could leave a false track and then go off somewhere, somewhere different. So, you know, you've got to be able to basically confirm your whole, whole route up there.
0: And, and that kind of leads into the next one. Never move further than the last determined sign. Yeah. And yeah, so,
1: don't, don't, yeah, don't, you know, a lot of guys, they get, they get like the hound dog in them. They get the, you know, and, and, and it's just like, they, they start moving on and moving on so fast that they, they pass something up and then they lose it, you know? So it you don't you don't go any further than the last known. Okay. That's it.
0: Never contaminate the sign.
1: Yeah, never walk on it, you know? Don't walk on top of it if you can, you know? It all depends, though. I mean, just like if you're out in a dusty environment, right, or a dirt environment where you actually see physical footprints, right. And you know, in that dirt, you're not going to walk on top of them. That's evidence. Right. <laughs> right. But obviously if you get out in the wood line and there's a blaze going through uh, tall grass, well, get in the blaze, you know, because if you start walking off to left or right of it, now you're contaminating that as well. And now if you have to come back through there, which, you know, which trail did the, did the subject go on and which one did you make, you know,
0: well, and I would think too, if you get off to the left and right of it, you're not going to see if there's a break in that because you're not going to be well, in the middle of it.
1: At the, at the other thing is too, is putting yourself in his shoes, seeing the terrain from his vantage point, you know, and if you can look at the, if you can sit there and put yourself in his position, right. And, and look at the train as he's looking at it. And even when he stops, you know, where he stops next to a tree, Hey, Sit down by that tree. What was he looking at? You know, what was he doing? But that,
0: to me, that sounds a little more than basic to know he stopped at that tree. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, okay. I, I'm talking at, at the most basic level. What, what are guys looking for for that? Even the most basic guys to know, like, okay, well, something's look, not right, right see, here.
1: Okay, so you might see, you might see, you know, heel digs. Okay. In the ground, you might see partial impressions inside the, you know, inside the track traps, the dirt. Okay. You might see flattening of the grass. You might see broken limbs, broken branches, rocks tipped out of, out of its position, leaves that are turned over so that the wet, wet portion or the dark portion of the leaves are facing up towards the sun. You could see, uh, you know, broad leafy plants where uh, the light coloredness of the underbelly is now flipped up. OK, and now it's facing you rather than, you know, in its original right. position. OK, uh, there's I mean, broken cobwebs, you know, broken cobwebs between, you know, between bushes or or other types of vegetation. I mean, there, it could be a host of things. Right. You know, so and for a guy who's who takes a break and stops, he's meandering there a little bit. You know, he sit, he may sit down. Uh, he may sit down in the shade on a sunny day, right? But by the time you get up there, that that shade has already shifted. So it could even tell you what time he was there. Right. Okay? It can, And then by sitting there in his position and looking, what was he looking at? What was he doing? You know, was he looking at you? Was he looking at you coming through a valley if he's up on high ground?
0: I think the next one is is kind of the biggest one that throws everyone and never track faster than your ability. I think, yep. like you said, that hound dog comes out and yeah. they shoot to the target and yep. end up being offline.
1: Yep. That's exactly what happens. They get too, they get overly confident and they go faster than, cause they just, it's like they smell the blood, man. They smell the blood and they just get on that track line and they move quick. And you see that a lot with, uh, with beginners, because they can start to get a little overconfident, you know, because they're seeing things and it's, it's coming right. to them quickly, but you know, then they'll wind up getting, they'll, they'll overshoot it and then they'll lose it. Then they'll be in lost track drills for at least 20, 30 minutes. Maybe they don't pick it back up. <laughs> you know, I mean, so yeah, just, it's gotta, everything's gotta be controlled, you know, you, and, and you've got to realize, And the other thing is, is if they're moving too fast, depending on the situation, you might you might wind yourself, you know, getting shot yourself, right? A lot of times when I do this training, I I set up in an ambush or either that or I set up booby traps to purposely lure them into a spot to get them to calm down and and to basically look at what they're doing, you know, and usually that, you know, they're going too fast, they're going too fast, or they're not paying attention to the train and they're not exploiting the train uh to their own benefit either. So, you
0: know. I I think the last one of it uh I think goes back into your intelligence history and all that. Uh getting into the mind of your quarry. Yep. A couple questions that I have on that. One, do you think that a lot of people have trouble getting into the mind of their quarry? And number two, what are things that someone can do if they're having trouble processing that looking at it thinking like their quarry uh that they can do to where every time they get into that situation it, it almost becomes second nature
1: you know what the the what i keep telling what i tell students all the time what would you do if you were this guy what would you be doing where would you go and you know most times they can they'll they'll so well i i would go i would around this way around this tree or around this rock or whatever. I was like, okay, we'll go check it out. Sure enough, they'll go out. They'll find, they'll find sign that takes them down that way. And then, you know, that's really it. You're basically putting yourself, you know, in his position and ask yourself, what would you do? I mean, if you're, you know, don't you do that with criminals? Yeah. Yeah. You'd be like, if if I was him, what would I be doing? And, And as you're gathering information on him, Right. You're getting more of a picture into, you know, the habits of this guy or guys. Right. But, but I think
0: you I, I think you would agree whether we're talking law enforcement, whether we're talking military, when you're asking someone to think like that, it's yeah. it's hard for a lot of people to process that because in their brain, it's telling them over and over. I'm a soldier. I'm this. I'm this. I'm yeah. law enforcement. I'm, I'm not that I'm not. And you see that you probably saw it a lot when you embed with indigenous groups and things like that, you have to start thinking like them. But a lot of people that mental block comes up and they, they don't know how to switch gears and go, okay, I'm not this person anymore. I'm now this person.
1: I I guess, you know, I guess, uh, I guess for me, it's, it's, I, I really don't, I don't really have that problem in my classes because most guys, you know, I, I mean, I do one on one with them when they're tracking somebody, right? And so, you know, I'm looking at I'm, I'm looking at where are they looking? You know, how are they moving on the track line? What you know? Do, do they does he feel confident? That, you know, I look at his mannerisms too. You know, and and trying to figure out, you know, does he feel confident? Does he not feel confident? Is he hesitant? Um, and when I and I do a lot of communicating with him, I'm like. So what do you see? What do you, you know? And they basically tell me all the things that they're seeing along the way. I was, and then when I come up to something, I'll ask them, hey, well, what do you think that means? If you were him, what, what would that mean? You know, if he did something like this, what would that mean? So what, you what
0: almost that, push them into that then?
1: Yeah, you have to get them. Yeah, they, they don't know. You know, they don't know. So, you know, that's part of it being an instructor is to, you know, make them see the things that you're seeing. And look, here's the thing, too, you know, I mean, it's all a hypothesis. You don't know until you get to the end of the track line and you actually debrief the guy who laid it, you know, uh, during, you know, when we're training. And look, sometimes, you know, look, I've been doing this for a long time, but I'm not always 100% right either. You know, I might be, you know, 75%. But I mean, if you're 75%, you're doing pretty doggone good for yeah. someone who didn't see what actually happened. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I always consider, I, I, I consider, you know, if you get 70% of, of it right, you're doing pretty doggone good. You know, if you get a hundred percent of it, you know, Hey, you were lucky, <laughs> you know, you were lucky. <laughs>
0: yeah. I think you have a, uh, a future in palm
1: reading, but I, you know, I'll tell you guys, I, I've, I've had a guy, I had one guy who came to our class who, uh, he was colorblind and that was, that was a challenge. That was a challenge for me because the, he would get the, uh, the brownish rust colored, uh, pine needles mixed up with what green grass. He couldn't he, he couldn't tell the difference between, you know, the texture of both of those looking at it, you know, And it's, and of course I'm not colorblind. So, I mean, that's, that's hard. That's hard to figure out. Okay. Well, you know, what does this look, you know, you're constantly asking him, what what does these pine needles look like? And he goes, well, it looks like grass to me. It all looks the same. But I mean, eventually we figured it, you know, a way for him to kind of look at it and differentiate between grass and the pine straw. But it, it, that took about 30, 40 minutes, just trying to go back and forth, trying to figure out, you know how he perceived things, how he saw it, because, you know, he had he had a he was handicapped in a sense, you know, um, and I, we didn't know it until, you know, he he basically told us he didn't tell us in the beginning of the course he, we found it out on the track line because, I was thinking like, how can he not see this, <laughs> you know? Right. And then he was like, well, I'm colorblind. I was like, well, damn, <laughs> you know, <laughs> okay. I should have, you know, that would have been a nice thing to know, you know, in the beginning. But, I mean, he didn't track as fast as the other guys by the end of the class, but he did pretty doggone good.
0: Well, and and I, in talking about that, you say using your senses. That's a big thing with you. Detect, follow, interpret, anticipate, yep. locate. So when you have a guy like that, that that definitely has is handicapped against what you're doing, I mean, in, in the most basic um definition of it because yep. he's not going to be able to differentiate colors, which you've talked about so many times, uh, in tracking something, do those other senses help out? Does it become so much of a hindrance that we're probably not going to want to put that guy on it? Or is there a way to overcome that?
1: Look, I'll, I'll be honest. That That guy, I mean, I know he wanted to do well and he did okay. You know, But would I put that guy out there, you know, and have everybody depend on? No, because you got to have good eyesight, you know, you got to look, you're using all your senses, you know, your sense of touch, your smell, you know, your hearing, your vision, you're, you're using all those things, you know, I mean, literally you are a predator. When you're out there, you're hunting, you're hunting somebody else who could be turn around and, and, and turn into hunting you, you know, it's a deadly game, you know, but it's, it's exhilarating. Like when you get on that hunt and you know, it's for real, let me tell you, the high is like nothing you've ever, you, you've never felt, you know, that adrenaline's pumping hard. Absolutely. Especially if if you, especially you find them, you know, then it's even better.
0: Let me ask you, what's the next evolution in tracking? We've talked about technology. We've talked about going back to the basics. Is there another evolution that's that's gonna come? Do you see happening?
1: I don't you know, I look, I mean, we all they already use, you know, some I mean, guys have they use aircraft they use you know drones to help you know
0: right and 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 so that's my question do you see there that it could evolve even more
1: i'm sure it could i mean you know <laughs> well here but see here's the thing i mean you know, because
0: i think you get further and further the more it evolves the more you get away from those basics a whole
1: lot though you know I, okay I mean, look even Or Machuca, they were because you you know they they had the drone program there, and they were absolutely utilizing the drones and all this other stuff. Well, hey, the drones only got so much airtime, right? It can't interpret anything on the ground. You might be able to detect movement and somebody running off.
0: You and and heat and all those kind of things.
1: Yeah, if you've got if you've got somebody who's conducting a pursuit, you know, and those guys, you know, who are fleeing know that they're being pursued. They're gonna frick. They're gonna. They're gonna push themselves harder. You know? Absolutely. And that whole that whole fight or flight thing. Either they're gonna they're gonna run, high, They're gonna try to lose you, or they're gonna get. You know, you're gonna make up so much distance that they're gonna try. They're gonna try to you know, basically duke it out with you. you
0: know? I was always told, you know, they're running for their lives. You're running after them. Yeah. They're running for their lives. So it's right. it's on a whole nother level for them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But see, you know, if you can most people when they're being chased their heart levels goes up you know and if if they're if they can't keep themselves calm and they can't observe the terrain around them they're just gonna they're just gonna book man they're gonna book and they're you know they're just gonna try to put time and space between you and them you know but if you get a guy who thinks clearly and he thinks he can you know he can exploit the terrain to his advantage and give you a bloody a bloody nose to slow you down, you know, yeah, that can happen. But see, here's the thing, right? As a tracking team, they need to be looking at the terrain. They need to understand the terrain just to, you know, that's the biggest thing, understanding the terrain. Looking at the terrain and, and going, okay, where could I get hit? If I continue moving down this path, where could he possibly be? Or where could they possibly be, you know?
0: But once again, you're do going want, back to the basics: maps.
1: Yeah, and then do I want to stop here, right? Basically, put an Overwatch in and right. have a maneuver element go through, over there and clear that area before we continue moving, right? Or maybe I send somebody up, you know, get a helicopter overhead or something like that to try to flush them out, right? Okay, um, you know, and also when you lose when you, you lose a sign and or when you're just trying when you're trying to make up time. Look, sometimes you're going to jump track, you know, a lot of times if I know, if I see the track line and I see it's heading towards a road, a trail, something further up, a creek or something like that, I'll mark that spot where I'm at and I'll jump forward to, you know, basically cut a line and try to pick them up where they're crossing that, that obstacle. And that's going to save me time. Okay. So... I don't
0: know if that makes sense or not. No, no, no. It, it makes sense to to a certain extent. I, I When you say that, though, when you say the river, the road, the things like that, the first thing that comes into my mind is, one, if you're following a track line and you've got footprints or turned over grass or mm-hmm. whatever, yeah. you're coming to an area, that creek, that road, where yeah. it's going to be completely different. I mean, they, yeah. especially with, like, a creek. They could do a multitude of things to throw you off in the creek. They could...
1: You, it's I'm, not as easy a thing, man.
0: <laughs> okay, all right. Hey, uh, you're the expert here.
1: Well, put, wait, put it this way: it, it, for guys who know what kind of counter tracking, you know, techniques there are, what people might do, it shouldn't surprise you. Okay. You know.
0: Well, that that but moves us yeah, in. If,
1: if, if you've never seen it before and you're not thinking about it, right? And you're just looking and you're just following footsteps, yeah you can get thrown off. Well, that but moves. Remember, us- like, you're, you know, you have to, you have to look at it and look, there's, there, there's times now where it's like, I come across a log and all of a sudden, you know, things just don't look right. I look on that log, man. See if he jumped on that log and see if he broke any of the dog on bark on that log to try to fool me. And sure enough, man, every single time, you know, you pick them up. And, of course, if there's any vegetation going over that log, he's got to step around it or step on it or whatever. And so he, he's making more sign as soon as he gets on there. He thinks he's covering his tracks. He thinks he's, you know, he's being slick. But if you understand the technique and what they're going to use, you're going to look for opportunities where they potentially could do something like that. And you're going to look at it and, and basically, you know, look at and scrutinize it, see whether or not they did use it as, as a counter tracking technique. Going in the water, they got to come out.
0: Absolutely, but yeah. what if they they come out a hundred yards down? Are are you yeah. just scanning the shoreline? Are you?
1: Yeah, you're just you're you're doing a, a streamlined search. You're going up or down, you know, until you find something. Okay. And the, the, the thing is, is where's the stream flowing? Did he enter at the wrong spot? You know, and then all of a sudden I'm getting soot. I can see soot. In the stream or you know did he take the time and figure out you know and move downstream as as a streams you know flowing away you know what I'm saying
0: yeah, absolutely
1: rather than going up it so I mean yeah and then eventually like I said he's gonna have to get out he's gonna have to look for a good position to get out and here's the thing about counter tracking you're not you know most guys who do they use one technique if you're gonna be effective you have to use multiple techniques in order to throw somebody off.
0: That takes us into our final topic, and that is this company that you have and all the different things that you teach people. Uh, Tier Group LLC. Now, you have classes on tactical tracking, counter tracking, small unit tactics, survival man tracking, land navigation, survival prep, military combat tracking and counter-tracking course, rule pursuit and tactical medical course. You have so many different things that you teach. The thing that I want to get across to people is that you not only do this for the military, but I think that civilians can get something from this. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Whether that be... Survival medicine if they're if they're lost in the woods whatever you you hear every year about hikers getting lost in the woods or climbers yeah. getting lost in the woods these are things that they can learn now the motto that I saw from you guys is computer and electronics break batteries fail but the human computer your brain will always prevail yeah now I like that you made it rhyme and everything I do like that um, that was my intent <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but. You're, you're exactly right. And we've talked about that this whole conversation, that that technology at some point will fail you. You control whether you fail yourself or whether your brain fails you. So let's talk about a couple of the courses that I I really found kind of interesting. Let's talk about the man tracking course, because when I saw that, it's a basic visual man tracking skills to identify, interpret, and follow evidence. It's pretty much what we've been talking about the whole night. And so
1: So, it's a, it's a short course. It's, it's, it's for guys that, you know, like hunters, outdoor enthusiasts, guys who just like the outdoors, but you know, let's just like you brought up hikers go, you know, they get lost. Right. Well, if you can, if you can track, you can backtrack yourself out of that area. If you can, you know what I'm saying? Right. Uh,
0: You can follow that breadcrumb trail. Locate
1: game, you know, That's another, that's another way of locating game, you know, so, I mean, it's, it's just, and and for some people, it it may just be, you know, like, I don't know if I'm really going to get into this, but I'm going to try it out, you know, it might be kind of fun. So, but, you know, sometimes you get guy, you know, most people, most people go through the class and they're kind of like, Hey, that was fun. But then, you know, a smaller percentage of the guys that come through get the fever and like they will never look at anything the same way again.
0: Well, that's a good thing.
1: Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, I was one of those guys. So, I mean, anytime I find an opportunity, I, you know, I, I use I use a skill, you know, I even used it when my kids were growing up, you know, <laughs> whether they took out the garage, the garbage or not, or, you know, they had friends coming to the window at night or whatever. I mean. Yeah, it was. You know, they knew, they knew, they knew they couldn't. You know, they couldn't get get one by on me. So, uh,
0: the counter tracking course uh, it's yeah. hands on tactical evasion experience to individuals and teams in a short period. Uh, and this is what we talked about a little bit right there. When you, if you've got someone that's experienced in counter tracking, um, can we talk can we, a little bit about that and how it's going to differentiate against the man tracking course?
1: Well. Yeah. So they, you know, you're, you're, you're an evader. Okay. You're, you know, you're, you're an evader. So, I mean, we talk, you know, they get a little bit, they get a little bit of understanding as far as what does, you know, what are the capabilities of, uh, you know, a visual tracker, what, you know, capabilities does a, does a canine bring to it? You know, the levels of different training, uh, how they perceive their environment compared to you, you know, who's being an who's an invader. Right. And so the big thing with, so if you understand what the tracker is going to do or what a canine is going to do, you're going to know how to basically counter that. Right. And uh, util- utilizing a lot of different techniques. Um, and then, you know, a lot of, I mean, it's all hands-on, they practice it. And, and usually I'll, so track them, or me and a couple other guys will track them, you know, to see whether or not they're effective or not. We get huh. a lot of Air Force Air guys that go through the go through that, you know.
0: I, I, I got to ask, though, because this class seems to be where I think you would get the most comic relief. Uh, worst story of counter-tracking.
1: Oh. You, you know what's funny? So it, in SEER... Uh, you're always taught to go ugly early when it comes to eating things, right? So just like eat the nastiest bugs for, you know what I'm saying? Just go ugly, eat the bugs. And, uh, and so for counter tracking, it's the same thing. You know, you go ugly early. So, you know, just realize you're going to be uncomfortable, you know, and, and, and do those uncomfortable things. Guys, you know, they're afraid to get their feet wet. Get there, you know, jump into a stream or whatever, you know, and it's like, dude, if your life is really, you know, on the line, you need to take this stuff seriously and get in there and, and, and go ugly early, you know, start looking at the terrain and start, you know, exploiting it to your advantage.
0: What's the, uh, what's the worst one you've had come through? No names or anything, but what's the worst one that you've had come through?
1: worst class or
0: no, 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 just maybe the worst experience where the person just is not where you're saying, you know, you got to do this. You got to get into this and they're just fighting well, the tooth man, and nail. You
1: know, you know, to be honest, I mean, I, I haven't really, I guess I deal with people a little, I, I, I don't really get upset. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you know, like, I understand that one you know i i can tell who's really into it and who's gonna you know who who's gonna perform and then somebody who's just there for maybe a certificate you know or or whatever and so you know obviously the guys who are really putting forth the effort i'm gonna put forth the effort i'm gonna i'm gonna really you know provide them the best training i can now that guy who's you know finger drilling it well okay, you know, I'll give him an opportunity to, you know, to jump in there and, and, you know, correct himself, but I'm not going to sit there. I'm not going to invest. I'm not going to invest my time in somebody who's not invested in themselves. So, you know, I'm, I don't really let it bother me. And I've had guys like that. You know, I've had guys that come through and it's like, you know, you try to help them out and they don't want to listen and they want to do what they're going to do. And you're like, you know, Hey, you can do this you know and then they start doing the opposite and you go or not you know and you just let them go, you know let them make their own mistakes right you know and uh that's just how i that's just how i deal with
0: it right you know? uh rule pursuit collaboration between one of your affiliations which is tier group and lone star medics
1: yeah Caleb gosa he, he does he does like uh, he'll do a a day medical portion. Uh, we'll start that off just in case somebody gets hurt while we're out there. Uh, they do, he does trauma medicine, basic trauma medicine and stuff like that. But he also did, you know, we, we go over, you know, heat injuries, cuts and boo-boos and stuff like that. But, you know, a lot of the time is, you know, gunshot wounds, stuff like that. Um, and then, uh, and then the rest of it's just a, uh, it, it's a tracking, you know, it's basically the four days of the tracking class, but it's that rural pursuit is really geared towards law enforcement. That's, that's, that's who it's, we designed it for, you know, because they, you know, the, the ROEs are different from somebody who's doing it, you know, combat tracking. Right. And so, uh, and really what started that off, to be honest with you, was uh, the Eric Frye incident in Pennsylvania, the manhunt for Eric Frye. Okay, it lasted forty-six days, I believe. A couple of years ago, where he killed the state cop. Okay, and uh, so that's where, you know, that's where that kind of started. You know, to get some of the law enforcement community. We even, you know, we changed it from tactical tracking to, uh, you know, rural pursuit, and hoping that somebody would latch onto this and see the benefit of it. You know, cause we, we talk about working with canines and stuff in that class too. So, you know, in case you get a canine that's attached to you, you know, how do you move in a formation? How do you, you know, search for sign? How do you work together as a team? It's a tactical, it's a tactical environment. So, you know, it's, it's not just the individual tracking. It's everyone doing, you know, the guys doing their flank security, the guys doing rear security, the guys who are controlling the element. Uh, If. The dog team is there. Where's the dog team located? And when do you bring them up? You know, I mean, it's just, we go through all that stuff. You know, what kind of support assets do you have? Do you have helicopters? Do you have other vehicles? Do you have other teams on the ground? You know, how would you support those guys if you were on there for, you know, 24 hours and you still need to get water and food and stuff like that out to them? So all that goes into the planning, you know, for rural pursuit, you know, it's, it's not just, it's not just tracking it's it's the whole operation itself you know
0: and so that i mean that could be from the actual officer on the street all the way up to the command staff
1: sure yeah, we i mean we get guys that that come through and like uh one of the big one of the big organizations that that comes through every couple of years is a uh, hillsborough sheriff's department okay down in florida uh, those guys and they send me some pretty cool pictures of su- stuff they do and, th- and they're using it it's good it's good you know and then I've had uh, some guys up in Ohio uh, you know that we we had a, basically a task force that came through it was several several sheriff's departments that kind of pull resources and you know they had canine handlers they had drone pilots they had you know, just the regular SWAT team guys that you know basically were all all out there doing this tracking thing, and then you know we talked about you know how they could all roll this up into operations, and then we we actually did that you know where we had a command cell and everything else. So, you know.
0: survival and preparedness. Now, I think this one uh, of all your classes is is the most overall class. I would think that that the most people could take advantage of. Um, just from you see a lot of not
1: many prep. do, <laughs> not many do.
0: <laughs> okay, most
1: people come to the believe it or not, most people come to the land land navigation. I get more people wanting land navigation more than anything.
0: Okay, well, so let's talk about that for a minute then, because to me, <laughs> this seems like you know if the walking dead ever happens, this is what we're going to want. You're going to want to be able to survive. So why do you think so many people, because land nav is of course important, but surviving and actually being able to live so you can perform land nav, I think would be higher on the scale.
1: Well, you know what? I'll, I'll tell you what, I think, I think land navigation is probably the base that that's the base class you want to take for anything outdoors. Because if you can learn if, and it's not just map reading, right? It, it's terrain appreciation, you know, understanding, uh, you know, where your water sources are going to be, what's good, where, you know, you're going to basically have thicker vegetation where it's going to be slow moving through there, but you know, you want to, you know, or where you're going to get shade you know, and stay out of the sun, or, you know, um, you know, where can you find, you know, the most likely place you're going to find animals that you can hunt, you know. Um, If you're tracking, you know, where are you going to find, where are you going to most likely find footsteps, you know, signs of, of passage through an area, you know, if it's, if it's a tactical environment too, you know, where would the, where would the enemy most likely be, you know, where would they hide, you know, where would they, you know, where would they go, you know, to conceal their movements? I mean, I, you know, and of course, you know, if you're trying to, you know, uh, be rescued, you know, you want to know how to exploit terrain, use minimal amount of energy to get to a place where you can be rescued. So, you know, it, most guys, when they come through the land, nav, they have, uh, they're, they're kind of like doing the whole dead reckoning thing, you know, where it's like, you know, two hundred, you know, a thousand meters, you know, on a thirty-six degree azimuth, you know, and, and not breaking it up, you know. And we we teach them how to take shorter legs, stay on azimuth a little bit better, and then, uh, you know, create those intermediate objectives along the way so that they know where they're at during their whole trip. Um, but I, you know, the land nav. A lot of people have fun at it, man. They 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 like it, but that seems to be the most. That's the one class that like I get a lot of people that that come out for that. You know, the tracking one. The tracking classes are the next one, and then small unit tactics. That's another one that that gets a lot of people. Um, to be honest, the survival stuff. Most of the guys that come to the classes already have taken like some kind of survival class, and you know they're they're kind of like that anyway they're hunters you know they're outdoor enthusiasts they've you know they either have taken some survival classes or they've just grown up doing it you know so
0: i want to uh talk about one of your other affiliations we already talked about lone star medics let's talk about uh spartan training concepts oh yeah. yeah if you can tell us a little bit about them and just what they give to your courses
1: well, really they, they host me out, out of open okay. order. Yeah. I mean, they're just, you know, they're a host, but, um, Josh Long, he's, he's, a, am kind of grooming him at, you know, to be my assistant instructor and stuff like that. He's really got, I mean, really smart guy, man. Doesn't have a military background or a law enforcement background, but he's, he's an outdoorsman through and through. He's a hunter. And, uh, And he's just got the, dude, he's he's got the mentality for all this stuff, all of it, you know. He's a real smart guy.
0: Well, guys, any of the courses that you want to take, you can reserve your classes at tiergroupllc.com. That's T-Y-R-G-R-O-U-P-L-L-C.com. You can also contact them by phone at 337-344-7928. Uh your book is also available on the Kindle store, Barnes and Noble, Kobo, Google Play Books, Scribd and uh, Amazon Prime you can find it there. Is there anything else before we end this that you'd like to promote that you're doing?
1: Yeah, uh well, I mean we started doing some we started doing some classes on uh on basically irregular warfare. Okay to get people really kind of thinking about that especially in this you know in in this environment that we have politically in this country right now and it's not necessarily for them really to conduct it more or less to detect what's going on inside their area so you know to be able to detect potential troublemakers coming in and destabilizing your area we've we've done that out in a couple of communities now virginia there's a community out there i'm not going to tell you where um, because they're, they're doing some great things, but I want to kind of keep it, you know, for their own protection. Uh, they're doing some, they're doing some good things, but it, it's more community based working with, uh, church groups and stuff like that. That's who've really been, um, cause they don't want their, they don't want their towns burned down, you know?
0: <laughs> I think that, uh, I think a lot of people feel that way. Um, other than that, anything else? No. Okay.
1: I appreciate that. I appreciate you, you know, asking me to come on here and, and, you know, I'm getting to talk to you about all these different subjects. I I really had a good time.
0: Yeah, no, I'm I'm very happy you're... I definitely
1: could go on further.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Like I said, I'm I'm so happy that you came on here. I think that this is um, something with, like you said, with the current climate, I think more people are starting to look into that um, taking kind of care of themselves, being able to yep. be self-sufficient for their families and stuff. And there there's a lot of stuff that you teach that that can teach them those things. One more time, guys, if you want to reserve classes, you can reserve it at tiergroupllc.com, T-Y-R-G-R-O-U-P-L-L-C.com. You can contact them by phone at 337-344-7928. You can get his book at the Kindle Store, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, Google Play Books, Scribd, and Amazon Prime. Uh, also, I want you guys to go check out Blackpoint Tactical. They have sent uh, us over here at the studio some holsters. They they make some great stuff out there. Go check them out. Um, I think that's going to be it for tonight. I think we've just about covered everything that we can tonight. If you want more of me, you can find me on Twitter at Double Speak DJ. You can find me on Facebook at the DTD Podcast, and you can find me on YouTube at the DTD Podcast. Remember, guys, you come here every week because the best stories are true. That's John. I'm DJ. That's been the show. We'll catch you on the next one. We'll see you later, guys. Bye.